You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein and Associates. I will show you around. Hi, welcome to another podcast. Actually, this is uh, several podcasts in one. What we'll be doing today is interviewing not just one person as I normally do, and the reason for that is that we have a very special event coming up, which is sponsored by the Jerusalem Business Networking Forum, and it's dedicated to high tech, and five companies are going to be awarded uh, the distinction of being the hottest startups these days in Jerusalem. Now, as uh, many of you know, or maybe you don't know, that Jerusalem is experiencing a renaissance. Jerusalem, 15 years ago, at the end of the 90s, in what we used to call the, or call the dot-com era, uh, there were a lot of startups here. Uh, they were all in the area, for the most part, of dot-coms. There were some exceptions, of course. There was a lot of activity, a lot of investment going on, and a lot of people. And when the dot-com experience imploded, as many call it. Dot-com startups, high-tech, went into hibernation. And I'd say they really went into hibernation for over 10 years, where we did not see very much going in the way of, of high-tech in terms of startups. There was, when, when high-tech did recover, uh, it, it, it appeared in Herzliya, Ramat HaChayal, uh, even up in the Galil, but we really didn't see it come back in Jerusalem. And it's very exciting to see that now, with several organizations uh, and with the concept of crowdfunding and venture capitalists, that they do not have to set up these companies in greater Tel Aviv or Herzliya. And Jerusalem has once again become a place where there's a lot of growth and excitement. So today I'm going to be speaking with four of the five of those awardees. And uh, I think you're going to meet people that you may not have heard about, and I think it makes for an exciting concept. So let me begin with my first guest, John Poland from Abe's Market, and I'm very happy to have one of the founders on the phone. Hi, John. Hi. Very happy to uh, join you. It's uh, it's always nice, first of all, to to speak with any but and any entrepreneur. Uh, but particularly one from Chicago is very special to me. So uh, we're both uh, former Chicagoans. We are, and I'm happy to have you on today. Thanks. We won't uh, we won't today get into the Cubs White Sox debates between us. Not a good year for either of us, but there's always hope. And that's, <laughs> that's right. Wait wait till next year. Abe's Market has really made a name for itself uh, in the online marketplace place for natural products. It's, uh, you know, I think we've seen the trend uh, certainly in our lifetimes and, and particularly over the last five to 10 years where natural products uh, are, are very much on the rise. It's something that uh, it crosses all generations, young, old, middle-aged people. So tell me a little about uh, first how you chose this as your niche and, 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 and what you're doing today with this niche. Sure. So for me, it's actually a personal mission. Uh, without getting into all of the details of my background, I'll share a couple of important parts that influenced the uh, development of Abe's Market. First of all, I spent 10 years in Fortune 500 companies in the U.S. doing consumer product marketing. And for much of that time, I was working for the Clorox company in the Bay Area, Northern California, where I was mm -hmm. living in Berkeley with, uh, with my wife and where we had the first two of our three kids. So the two important points there are, number one, that uh, through my years in consumer product marketing in the Fortune 
I grew to really love marketing and products and packaging and positioning and all the things that go along with that. And number two, have been for a long time a personal user of natural and organic products, not only food products, but personal care products, uh, baby products when my kids were younger, etc. And so it's a world that I know well and have watched closely. And going back about five years when Abe's Market or the idea for it was born, um, there were a couple of trends that really interested me. One, on the supply side, I was seeing a lot of great development in the world of natural and organic. Uh, products were coming along that had beautiful aesthetic, that worked beautifully, etc. The world was really growing up, um, yet was highly fragmented on the supply or the seller side, as we call it. And then on the consumer side, uh, I was increasingly shopping online, as were most Americans and, frankly, most of the world. Um, yet there was no place online under one roof to buy these kinds of products. So there's a seller issue, there's a buyer issue, and Abe's Market was born to meet the, uh, the convergence of the buyer and seller issues um, and to kind of jump on the growing trends of e-commerce and natural and organic. Have you found what guides someone to Abe's market as opposed to saying, well, I'm, I'm already doing my weekly visit to Amazon. W where do you fit into that and how, how, what's the advantage that you could give the consumer? Sure. It's a great, great question. And I think anybody who sells a product anywhere, online or off, has to be looking at Amazon as a, as a threat and thinking about how to differentiate versus Amazon. In our case, we look at it as follows. We see Amazon as a big, nameless, impersonal superstore, and that's okay for some people. Uh, but at Abe's Market, we try very hard to tell the story of the product and the, the passionate people who make the products. Uh, these are real people making the products. And we say we're not in the business of selling commodity products. We're in a space where consumers have a curiosity. They want to be educated and informed about you know, what's really in these products, who's making these products, where are they made, what drives the passion of the entrepreneurs who make them. Um, I saw an interesting stat recently uh, in the New York Times that 68% of women in the U.S. aged 18 to 34 aspire to be entrepreneurs. Wow. And we think that that demographic really, really latches on to what we're doing, that they can go on the site and not just see a picture of a product and the price of the product, but they see the sellers. They could read their stories. Oftentimes there's videos to support the story. Um, it's a very different shopping experience, not only than Amazon, but frankly, a very different shopping experience than, uh, than you could find um, in a brick and mortar store, where again, you could pick a product off the shelf and, and look at the product, but you don't know anything about the story behind the product. Why was it made? What inspired the makers, etc.? So there's a real personal component to our shopping experience that we think really sets us apart from or, uh, or even a brick-and-mortar store. Well, that, that's fantastic. I really like that, and I think uh, as, as online commerce, as everything we've experienced maybe the last 10 or 20 years has evolved over the Internet, that I think it sounds you're on to something that people are going to want to know uh, not just what they're buying but who they're buying from. And uh, we know from... Uh, you know, the social media that uh, people still want to be connected. And uh, if they're not going down to the neighborhood store, like I think you, you, you named your business after a grandfather's store, uh, they still want that human connection. So I, I, I wish you really great success. And uh, again, congratulations on your award. And we look forward to hearing great things about Abe's Market. My pleasure. It was great talking to you. Okay, and let me now go on to my next guest, Victor Ofstein, 
uh, of Freitos. He's currently the COO of Freitos. Uh, Victor and his company we're interviewing today because they are one of the five hottest startups in Jerusalem. And I'm very uh, excited to speak to you and hear about your company and a little about uh, how you plan to change the world. <laughs> sure. Thanks very much for having us. Victor, I know you have a long-time background in high-tech, particularly in the Jerusalem scene. You were with Unicorn, Tradium, Amdocs, Accenture, and uh, you have a new venture mm-hmm. called Freitos. So why don't you tell my listeners a little about what what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, let me uh, take, uh, to take everyone on a... Um, uh, a little trip a couple of years back where um, myself and uh, the founder of Freitos, who is uh, Tzvi Schreiber, uh, were actually running a, uh, an electronics company, and, um, and we were responsible for shipping electronic components uh, all around the world. And um, what was very striking was that uh, even three years ago, to get a quote for shipping, let's say, uh, three containers a month worth of electronics com- electronic components from uh, China to Europe or, say, to the U.S., uh, the only way of doing that really was by calling up the freight forwarders or, uh, at best, emailing them and then waiting for them to send a manual quotation back to us as customers. And, uh, of course, in the days of online consumption where, you know, as consumers, we, we, we buy everything online now, right? We buy uh, electronics and groceries and clothes and, and uh, even more complex transactions like insurance and, and of course, vacations. Uh, it seemed almost absurd that we were having to wait, um, you know, sometimes 48 hours, three days, four days to receive back a, uh, a straightforward quotation for freight. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was, you know, we're talking three years ago or so, and um, we put our minds together to figure out why this was happening and um, came up really with a, uh, a solution for enabling freight companies to be able to quote their, uh, to their customers online. And, uh, of course, freight is, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's fairly straightforward in the sense that, uh, you know, you're shipping things from A to B, either by ocean or by air. And there is some complexity in the, uh, in the transaction with uh, surcharges and customs uh, and the like. But um, really our vision for Freightos is that it should be as easy for freight companies to be able to quote their services um, as, uh, as, as possible. And then, of course, as customers of freight, uh, our vision is that, uh, you know, you should be able to go online and uh, be able to instantly compare freight quotations by different providers and find instantly uh, the best service uh, at the best cost of uh, what you're looking for at that time. So uh, something like uh, almost like an Expedia uh, or a kayak for the freight industry. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what they call in the uh, high-tech world a disruptor. You know, you're disrupting the traditional way of doing business. Uh, exactly. How, how are the freight forwarders taking to you? Good. So, so I think you've, you've uh, absolutely hit the nail on the head. Uh, the freight industry is a... Uh, very, very large, uh, very uh, established industry. Uh, it's been around for uh, you know many hundreds of years, even. And um, you know, and, and and to think of the size, all you need to do is look around the room and and uh, you know look at what 
you're using and what uh, you know you're eating and wearing and everything has been freighted at some point from one place to another. It's an unfathomably huge industry. Uh, with that, of course, brings um, you know a certain amount of conservatism. There are uh, uh, the practices that have been used within the freight industry for uh, you know for decades. Um, having said that. There's we're, what we're seeing is a prevalent feeling that uh, you know the age of the internet is finally catching up with the freight industry. Uh, we're on the verge of big change. Uh, the industry itself understands it. Um, we have um, you know among our customers certainly leaders within the freight industry that see that uh, you know the internet holds a huge huge power for them to be able to. Uh, uh, to revolutionize the industry, to make it more efficient, uh, both for, you know, mainly for customers, but also for the freight industry themselves, uh, you know, to be able to quote faster and better and to be able to optimize their services is, uh, is, is, is an opportunity. So in summary to your question, Philip, I think it's fair to say that uh, the change is happening and it's being embraced by uh, many, many industry leaders within freight, and it's really a matter of uh, of when and how. And Freightos is uh, position. We're positioning ourselves to really be a driver of that change. Okay. Well, we wish you great success. We look forward to uh, using your services uh, or or being yeah. beneficiary of your services. And we uh, also want to again congratulate you on your award uh, coming up this week. Thank you so much. And let me now go on to my next guest, Bruno Gez from the company known as Revelator. Uh, Revelator is uh, one of the five hottest startups in Jerusalem, and uh, Revelator and Bruno will be getting that award this week uh, at the Doing Business in Jerusalem conference at Binyane Omar. And I'm very happy to have you on, uh, on this mini podcast, Bruno. Welcome. Thank you very much, Philip. And uh, this is a little different direction that we're going to be speaking about today. You are in the music industry. This is certainly an industry that has, uh, even even for young people, has seen uh, unbelievable changes. I don't think anyone could have even imagined, uh, if we look back 20 or 30 years ago, how music would be consumed today. Uh, and it seems like it's it's ever changing, Bruno. I see you've had over 20 years experience in the music industry. So tell me about uh, taking that music background and how you came to come up with the concept of the company called Revelator. Well, you, you know, you you hit it on the on the on the nose there with your introduction. And there's been a big paradigm shift in the last uh, decade or so in the music business, from a centralized model to a decentralized model. And it's a structural shift that's moving away from power to the majors and providing the power to the independent creator. And you know, part of the reason for that is that the emergence of networks, social networks, music services, and also the explosion of mobile as contributing to a lot more devices is providing a lot of new opportunities today to monetize music. It's not just about consumption as, you know, buying. And there's been a shift uh, away from an ownership model to a model based on access. And that's really the what's at the crux of this, at the root of this. And and is this a model where I know over the last couple of years there's uh, complaints among the creators of music. Uh, it's harder for them to, to make a living. It's harder for them to make a profit. 
people don't view music as a commodity one has to pay for. Uh, how, how can Revelator help those musicians? Well, what we've done is, you know, we've, we've looked at the current um, problem, and I think we've identified that artists have a hard time monetizing their digital content. They have a hard time distributing and getting in front of all the consumers and all across all the devices. And there are too, middle, too many middlemen, uh, you know, in the middle, taking cuts along the way and providing them with, you know, 10 cents or 15 cents on the dollar, um, you know, if you look at the unit economics. So the streaming models, which have blown up and, you know, every, everyone kind of has a Spotify account and a Visa account and an RBIO account, but the economics of those, you know, royalty structures are very different than when you could purchase a CD and collect six dollars or seven dollars uh, on it. Now you basically earn zero point zero zero seven cents per stream, and you need a lot of those to make up for any kind of significant income that you would have had. So we looked at you know the the market and kind of established that there are three opportunities. You know, one is in distribution and providing uh, direct access to music creators with you know uh, distribution to those stores, download stores, and streaming services and app-supported services. And part of what we're hoping to do is to offer basically a 0% distribution fee, essentially free. So the artists and the creators get to keep 100% of the revenue they collect from the stores and services. And this hasn't really been done yet uh, on a free model this way. The second part of the issue and the opportunity that we're going after is we want to provide a platform that provides integrated business and marketing solutions. So on one hand, you can distribute, upload and distribute your music and sell to all the stores and get to on all the channels and be able to collect money. And on the other hand, you want to market and promote your art. Um, and the Revelator platform enables professionals to grow their business by managing and monetizing all of their digital content online and across mobile devices. And I think that's um, something that's going to be powerful for people to do it all in one place. Uh, there are many solutions today that provide you with you know, different feature sets. But the reality is if you have to pay subscription services to across 10, 12 different platforms to get a 360 view of how to manage your business, it makes it very challenging. And most likely, you'll, you won't do that. So the idea is to really simplify it. Um, the task for the artist to promote themselves and distribute and sell their music. So the third part has to do with monetization and being able to monetize your videos on YouTube or across app-supported services. And most people don't have access to be able to monetize and collect um, advertising revenue because they don't have deals with Google or with Vivo, etc. So distribution, marketing, and monetization we see as the, are the three opportunities that um, artists are facing. And essentially, we've created a cloud platform that unites um, business and marketing tools to solve those three issues. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I guess from my for hearing what you said, in other words, you're sort of uh, uh, recreating or reestablishing the ability for a, a, an artist, a musician, uh, to to earn from his creation. Uh, whether he appears in live concerts or whether he's just uh, distributing his uh, his music to consumers that he may never meet, uh, which it seemed like in the last couple of years, 
musicians seem to abandon the distribution side to strangers that they couldn't make a penny there and the only place they could make some money was appearing live. So you're sort of giving them back that potential monetary stream of income. That that's, that's must be very good news to artists out there. I would think so as well. All right. Well, we wish you well, and we congratulate again on being identified as uh, one of the hottest startups, and we look forward to hearing more about your concept and your company. Thanks so much, Philip. I'm really happy to, today to be speaking with Ronen Siegel, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Brainsway. Brainsway has been awarded uh, an honor of being one of the five hottest startups in Jerusalem. And actually, that's going to be my first question in a moment. Welcome, Ronen. Thank you very much. Uh, Brainsway is a well-known. It's, it's a, a company that's been around. Uh, you're even uh, traded on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. So maybe we can first start with uh, how, how do you still wear the title of, of startup? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, as uh, yeah, there, there there might be some uh, contradiction here between a startup company and a publicly traded company, but Brainsway, uh, in the very early stages, um, actually our first financing rounds were uh, through an IPO, uh, which uh, back in 2007 there was a uh, window of opportunity for many uh, startup uh, companies in the biotechnology uh, space uh, joining the uh, Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. And uh, this, uh, you know, in, in very early we became, uh, we, we became public. But uh, at the same time, we're still in the stages of development, a very fast-growing company, and we're, uh, we got the FDA approval for our first uh, indication uh, treating uh, brain disorders. Um, and uh, we are just started uh, uh, generating uh, revenues. So in this aspect, we're still in very early phases. All right. So tell me a little. Your your technology is it a uh, sort of an add-on to uh, let's say a CAT scan or an MRI, or do you have is it a hardware and software application? Yes. Well, the, our technology is a multidisciplinary uh, solution uh, combines. Uh, a lot of physics, um, biotechnology, uh, neuroscience, uh, computer science, uh, mechanical engineering, uh, electronics, and all together, our solution is actually uh, relative to the uh, to the other technologies that you mentioned is uh, using the same type of energy as used in an MRI scanner, but instead of using it for diagnostic for uh, getting images of, of the brain, we are using this energy to treat the brain and to balance the electrical activity in the brain and uh, to treat brain disorders. Certainly, maybe in, in the last hundred years, we've gone from uh, not even being able to think about treating the brain to uh, psychotherapy, uh, drug therapy, which has been quite developed over the last few decades. But this is sort of taking it into a new dimension. Right. So how is that part of the medical community that, that needs you? How, how do you uh, convince them uh, that this is something they can add to their uh, tool chest, so to speak? Okay. So, so many of the diseases related to the brain which we are targeting uh, either have uh, an adequate type of treatment today or doesn't have any any type of treatment uh, in the classical, mostly pharmacological uh, 
type of solutions. Uh, we know that uh, still drugs are first line of treatments for many of these diseases, but uh, the side effects associated with uh, taking medication, uh, especially psychiatric and neurological medication, are, are very, very bad, and uh, many of the people cannot suffer the side effects, and in many of the cases, they don't really uh, help. And uh, as we all know, you know, the brain at the end of the day is uh, an electrical machine more than anything else. And by treating it uh, electrically, uh, today more and more understand that this is the, the direct and, and the more effective way uh, to treat brain disorders. Um, and so altogether, there, there is now a, a growing understanding, once understanding better how the, the brain works, uh, we know to correlate certain dysfunctioning of the brain, which are uh, uh, symptomized by, by different uh, diseases, to uh, certain areas in the brain. And the idea is taking electromagnetic uh, energy and uh, delivering this energy to the regions in the brain which are afflicted and are causing these diseases, and by um, generating a stimulation of the neuronal network in these areas, we actually can balance the electrical activity. So today we know that the, most of these diseases are caused by imbalance of the electrical activity in certain areas. So our, our challenge is, is to, to be able to, uh, to bring it to a normal level. And our solution is, is also... Uh, uh, takes into account uh, an electromagnetic uh, coil which uh, resides inside a helmet, which is the typical brainwave device that the patient wear, wears on his head, comes to a clinic, and uh, gets um, a series of uh, electromagnetic zaps targeting the, the specific area in the brain. And uh, by this, we can uh, cause also a long-lasting effect uh, which has no side effect. Well, we, we wish you great success or continued success, and we uh, look forward to reading about you and hearing about you and also uh, uh, your company getting its uh, award uh, this week at Binyane Oma. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's our great pleasure and honor, and uh, looking forward to see you all over there on, on Thursday. And let me now go on to my next guest. I'm very happy to have Joe Vanzwaren, uh, Joe has uh, been active in the high-tech scene, both in the private industry and the government side. But today what we're going to be speaking about is an event that will be taking place Thursday. And uh, I want to start, Joe, by first of greeting you, and secondly, hearing about this conference that will be t taking place this week. Hi, Philip. Yes, uh, we're holding our first annual JBNF conference th this Thursday at Bini Meuma, right? focusing on doing business in Jerusalem. And the purpose of the conference is to showcase the dynamism, the, the business, the investments, all the new frameworks emerging in Jerusalem. Over $110 million of new deals were made in startups last year alone, involving 35 new startups in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has become the leader in biomed for, for Israel, and we have this new uh, framework called Made in Jerusalem, which organizes over 40 different business networking groups. They'll be also speaking at the, at the conference. And it's all part of this new entrepreneurial wave, which is taking over Jerusalem. All of this hopefully will be seen at the conference. All right, this is uh, really exciting. I, I know uh, as someone who's been involved uh, 
in the high tech scene uh, through services that our firm pr provides uh, since the late 90s. It's it's very exciting to see this what I call a rebirth. Tell me a little about how the Jerusalem Business Network Forum came to that you came to this eight years ago, which was not when high tech was really uh, at its peak. Yeah, JBNF was created uh, seven years ago. Uh, because uh, it was felt that Jerusalem was in the shadow of Tel Aviv, that everything happening in Israel was taking the middle of the country or in Tel Aviv. And it was created to help people in Jerusalem, to stay in Jerusalem, create their businesses and startups, and to accelerate business in Jerusalem. And the idea is, by having um, regular meetings, we hold today about one, two meetings a month, encouraging a lot of business networking, you can create the critical mass and the ecosystem which will allow uh, much more business to emerge in Jerusalem. So uh, in the last seven years, we've held almost 100 meetings and it has helped generate over $15 million of business between our membership and helped find, find 200 people jobs in part in Jerusalem and part in Tel Aviv. And uh, our all activities are in English and we're focused in three main areas, high tech, biomed, and small business. We basically do most of our meetings at the Jerusalem College of Technology here in Jerusalem. You know, when one goes to Tel Aviv or the Tel Aviv area, and let's say they're, you know, they're they're looking to take a to to meet the high tech scene, you could certainly direct them to Herzliya Pituach or Ramat Hayal or some perhaps areas within Tel Aviv itself. Where where would you find today? Where will we find what what you're describing as taking place within Jerusalem? Well, right now, you'll, as you'll see at the conference, there's a lot of activities springing all over the city, from, from technical hubs to accelerators to incubators. And um, what's beautiful is that we're all interconnected, that there's, there's, a, there's a feeling of we've got to do work better to achieve better impact. Now, you must remember that Jerusalem has Israel's best university, the Hebrew University. It has 50% uh, of the medical research takes place uh, in, in Jerusalem. You know, Hadassah and Karim is a leading hospital in Israel. It has some of the top engineering colleges in Israel, Jerusalem College of Technology, Israeli. It has Israel's primary center of design. So you have a tremendous output of highly qualified people. But uh, up to recently, it was, has not come to, uh, it hasn't been harvested. This is changing, and it's changing very, very fast. All right. We, we certainly uh, look forward to uh, viewing the change and, and, and seeing the, attending the conference and hearing more about it. And I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to coming on today to tell us about your, your organization and the event. Thank you. I'm uh, really happy to have had this podcast, and I want to thank all my guests for participating today. I also want to mention to my listeners that this Thursday, the 14th of August, I will be moderating a panel at Binyan Uma at 4.30. The panel is called High Tech in Jerusalem from Dream to Reality. I'll be moderating a panel with the founder of JVP, uh, Javer Knesset Erel Margalit, Gadi Mazor, who's a general partner and CTO of our crowd, and Harold Wiener, who's a general partner of Terra Venture Partners. 
Uh, I think it's going to be a very exciting panel. I think these three individuals have a great deal of experience and can tell us a lot about what they've learned in the past and what they expect, particularly a high-tech scene in Jerusalem, which is what the panel is going to be about. So I look forward to meeting you, seeing old acquaintances. Looking forward to seeing you then. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peaceguide.com or look for Philip Snyder Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.